You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs as well as another guest this week. We have Zach Allen from the podcast Turn One Thoughtsies who is queued for the next Pro Tour, Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica, to bring us his perspective on a constructed player turning over to try to figure out how Limited works. What's up, Zach? Hey, how's it going, guys? Really, really good. We're super excited to have you on the show this week. Thanks for reaching out. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, So we're going to take care of some housekeeping stuff before we dive into who Zach is and the meat of this episode. So last week, we gave you a little primer on cons of Tarkir, and as soon as the cues dropped on Wednesday, Ben and I dove right in. Ben, how has cons been treating you? Oh, it's been great. It's every bit as good as I remembered it. Uh, I've only managed to do six drafts so far because I've been pretty busy, but uh, I'm 15 and 3 have three trophies and 83% win rate, and I have been having a blast from the past. How about you? Yeah, same. You know, our primer really helped me. I feel like I didn't know a lot of the things that you told me last week about the format. Like the blue-green aggro deck, I don't think I ever drafted that, and I've drafted it twice and just think it's a dream. I have been having a lot of fun as well, and I think approaching it a little bit differently than I did back in the day. So I'm uh, 35 and 10 with seven trophies for a 78% win rate. Before yesterday, I had no drafts that were worse than two ones. But yesterday I got two one twos, which is a huge bummer. But uh, the format's sweet. I'm gonna be sad to see it go in a couple days. Yeah, you were like 29 and four at one point or something stupid like that. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty stupid. I also think like flashback cues are perhaps not representative of, you know, when cues are live during their like initial spawn or whatever but that's really neither here nor there it's a super fun format and i'm glad that they brought it back we also want to make some announcements this week about the patreon so if you do not know if this is perhaps your first time listening we do have a patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited where you can give back to the show if you so choose the show will always be free but perhaps you know we've helped you grind some more tickets on Magic Online or win some packs at your FNM um, and you feel like the show is worthwhile to you and you want to show your love with some dollar bills. And we want to be able to give you some incentives to do so. And we're kind of doing a pretty big overhaul of the Patreon this week. So we're going to announce some new Patreon reward tiers this week for you. I am excited for those. Yeah, this is going to be pretty, pretty sweet. We're really, really looking forward to unleashing this on the world. So the base level 
as it has been, and as it will continue to be, is access to the Discord. One dollar per episode, that's going to give you access to the Lords of Limited Discord chat, where you and other draft degenerates can jump in. You know what's been really exciting about the Discord recently? Is a lot of people coming in and being like, I'm new to Limited. I've been playing Limited for like two months, three months, and I'm like kind of tentative about dipping my toe in the water. And we've, It feels like we've got a lot of like experienced drafters now like helping out new drafters and that's been something cool that has only really started to happen in the discord and that's been like just making my like tutor teacher heart sing and i imagine it does the same for you ben i was just reading that stuff on the way back here like at a stoplight i pulled up in discord (laughs) a stoplight i swear not on the road (laughs) and i was reading those same things and i was just like dang like we made this that's so cool and like i was thinking like this person's awesome they're helping this new person out and that's because you and i met randomly on the internet so it's pretty sweet yeah yep very sweet so now we're bumping down the show note access to two dollars per episode and we're gonna sort of bump up the access to the show notes in the sense of as soon as ben and i make a google doc to start planning out next week's show we're going to share that with you so you can sort of see the development get a preview of what the content is going to be for three dollars per episode you will have exclusive access to all of our draft logs mine and ben's and deck picks with insider tips and insights so we're going to make a sort of master spreadsheet of all of our drafts you can go through all those draft logs and these will only be available to patrons at this reward level. Uh, At $5 an episode, we're now going to make a private Discord server with me and Ben, where people at this level can have access to pick our brain, to submit questions, to be asked on air, and to help shape the subject matter of future episodes. But that's not all. We also have two stretch goals we're implementing. So for $500 an episode, Ben and I are going to start doing monthly draft videos. I am so psyched to do this. So we sort of started doing this on Twitch when we wanted to like join a draft together and then we'd like face off and share either side of our Twitch VODs with people. But we're going to try upping the game a little bit and doing both drafts the same, putting those back to back and then having us commentate the drafts together. So we'll be on air at the same time and you'll get our live commentary for the matches as they're happening. So we're excited about bringing some YouTube content to folks at this stretch goal. And then a stretch goal after that, we know people have been asking for it and we are going to finally try and invest in this. If we get to $750 per episode, we're going to get in on some merchandise. So Lords of Limited sleeves, mats, and t-shirts. If there's other stuff people want, we're going to try and get in on that. So we really want to try and give back as much as we can as folks are showing their financial love for the show. It's been awesome. I, yeah, I am so psyched about all this stuff. The two things I'm most excited about are the draft logs, deck picks. Like, you'll you'll see it all, warts and all, O2s, why our decks didn't work, 1-2s, bad beat stories, all of it. And I'm very excited for the Lords of Limited Showdown monthly videos. I think those are going to be really, really, really cool. Like, the sort of Team Vintage League, Super League style videos where we you know, narrate our own stuff. I think it's going to be really fun to make. Yeah, I'm very excited to do that as well. And I would be remiss if I forgot to shout out our new patrons this week. So we want to make sure that we shout out the new folks each and every week. We want to welcome Wilson, Adam, John B, John K, Michael, Neil, Justin, Octavio, and Diego. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your support means so much to us. Yes, thank you, thank you. All right, enough about us, Ben. We've got a very exciting guest on this week. We've got some really cool content to share for this hour-long episode. Zach, tell the people who you are. Tell them about your show, about your magic history. They want to hear it. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, guys. So my name is Zach Allen. I am a magic player from Michigan. Uh, I play for a store called R.A.W. Hobbies and Games. 
And you might be more familiar with me if you watch uh, SCG events. I've been on feature coverage a couple times. I think I top-edited one or two. I come from a background of mostly playing constructed. I started playing modern, and I was a, I guess you could call it more casual modern player for a long time, where uh, I played mostly modern. I'd play standard too, but played almost exclusively constructed. And about a year ago to maybe 18 months, something like that, I met some friends uh, while I was doing well at an event, and they, they talked about forming this this magic team. So we kind of formed it like a team where we get on Google Hangouts and practice with each other. And we decided we were going to go to more than just constructed events. Uh, we were going to do some limited Grand Prix, some just, you know, any any sort of Grand Prix, any sort of event we could get to, we were going to go go and play. And I think about seven months after we started doing that, there was a Grand Prix in Indianapolis where we were going to play our first, for me anyway, it was my first limited event, the first serious one. So I got in a Google Hangout every night for, I don't know, six months practicing limited practicing, you know, other formats too, but more focused on limited since I was so fresh to it. And it culminated in, I think we got, we got fifth at the event. We missed top four on breakers. It was, it was awesome. It was really cool to just show up, play a, play an event with your friends and, you know, have it go so well, especially when you put so much time in. And I'm joining you guys today, partly because of, you know, that transition I made where I'm coming from this solely constructed background where I have, you know, constructed biases in terms of playing magic and, Hopefully, uh, I can bring some insight into what I learned in that in that transition period and what I've learned since then as well. We're really looking forward to that. I really want to dive into uh, something before we get into the meat of our show notes here, which is the thing that gets someone into magic. So for me, it was drafting hooked me immediately and has kept me on the hook for years and years. And so I'm interested to hear, like, what about modern appealed to you? What made that fun and has continued to sort of be the leading interest for you in the game of Magic? Well, so for me, at least locally in Michigan, if you want to play Magic, you can kind of find all the events, but if you really want to play with the most people, you're going to play modern. That's just how our local events are set up. And for the large majority of my career, I didn't play on Magic Online. I didn't have any other outlet to play Magic other than playing in paper you know, at some some shop. So here, you know, the thing that drove me to play was just meeting people, talking to people, having fun with friends. And if I wanted to do that, it was playing modern. So that was where I started. And that's where I stayed for a long time. And honestly, um, it's something I still love to do. You know, I, I, I have this this team where I'm supposed to practice online X percentage of the time. And I still will always make time to come out to, you know, the Tuesday night modern my shop puts out because, you know, I just love seeing the people there. That like community that you talk about, I feel like I have that on Twitch. I don't have that pull to a, a shop per se, but I definitely feel that pull to streaming or to Discord community or to a Twitter community, that sort of thing. So I definitely get that social aspect and that community aspect. Yeah, I would second that 100% for myself. Yeah, we're just a, a couple anti-socials. Well, I, I mean, you guys obviously, you do a podcast, so you can't be that anti-social, right? That's fair. Yeah, I'll talk to Ben for an hour, but that's it. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> no, but I really do think that's the best part of the game is just you get to see and meet so many people, and it's so much fun, honestly, because, you know, I, I've played other games in the past, whether it be, you know, some, some video game or whatever, and it just doesn't have the, the interaction that Magic brings with it. That's the highlight for me, and that's why I keep playing. Yeah, I, I hear that for sure. So if we're going to sort of look at how a constructed player might transition into limited. So viewing limited under the lens of a constructed player and sort of what strengths playing constructed may bring you to limited and sort of what weaknesses, what gaps you might have in your game to come to playing with a 40-card deck. So we'll sort of break up the show into maybe three chunks, talking about drafting and card evaluation, and then moving into deck building and moving into gameplay finally, sort of that logical progression of how drafting, at least in limited, works. So what's the, the first point you have here for us. Okay, well, when you're moving from constructed to limited, 
the first thing you need to look at is what do you do in constructed, right? So it's like, you know, sometimes a lot of people are, you know, typical aggressive deck player. Maybe they'll focus on red decks, burn decks, something like that. You have, you know, your mid-range players or your control players or what have you. And it's important to know where you come from to kind of take in that that lens, I guess. But in terms of some very basic things with card evaluation, one of the first things, you know, that comes up when you're moving is you see cards that you play with in Constructed. And based on seeing the card, you have this bias towards you think you know how good that card is, right? So the point we have is that Constructed players tend to think cards that are good in Standard or good in Modern or whatever format are also going to be good in Limited, and that's just not the case. Um, I know the very first point I learned was Fatal Push had just come out in Aether Revolt, and it was you know, sweeping into Legacy. It was a modern staple at that point. You know, it was one of the most played removal spells they'd printed in a very long time. And the card honestly was not that good in Limited. But, you know, if you're familiar with Constructed, you're going to think of it as, you know, the best card you could open in the set, essentially. I mean, seriously, when you're playing the format, you might it might be better to take a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three over the Fatal Push just because of how hard it was to get the mechanic on it, which is Revolt, to work in Limited. And I think that that translates to other cards, too, where it's like... You see this card played in, you know, whatever modern deck, and it's just, it's different. The format is different, and all these cards are good, you know, contextually. And if it's not good in this limited format, then the pick order is going to be a lot lower than you would perceive it to be just being familiar with the card from what other format you played it in. No, that makes total sense. So are there any more general type adjustments you think you need to make, you know, when you're a constructed player starting to play limited when you're like from a card evaluation standpoint? Yeah, so uh, constructed players have this bias to kind of specialize, you know, in in their archetype, like I mentioned before, but past that they also kind of bias towards cards that are just the best printed like you see them appear in lists all the time the magic card pool is you know generally very very large but in constructed it's you know a lot smaller than it actually looks because only so many cards see play and so it's very easy to ignore a lot of cards that you'll look at from a constructed point of view because they just aren't relevant to the format and that you just can't do that in limited every card is relevant outside of maybe two or three cards that are just universal last picks or whatever you really need to take you know, take time to learn every card in this set that you're going to play. And, you know, is it worth playing just based on the set, essentially? Um, and then past that, the other thing is just learning how the card works and what other archetype you're in. You know, a two mana one three might be very good in a blue deck, but could be terrible in a red deck in the format. And it's hard to evaluate that because a constructed player might look at that card as just bad because it's a two mana one three. You would never play that in constructed, right? Right. So just learning to accept a wider range of cards as playable. Yep. I guess focusing more on that, I mean, it is really easy to dismiss cards in Constructed. Like, you will see, you'll open a pack, and honestly, I do this all the time, where I open a pack, and it's like, if I'm looking at it from a Constructed perspective, 13 of the cards aren't relevant, and I can throw them away. And I, like, won't even take them home from the shop with me. It's so rare, I feel like, that a common is a Constructed defining card. I feel like Llanowar Elves is sort of a, a diamond in the rough. Oftentimes, commons out of booster packs are not really things that you see being sleeved up in 60 card decks no absolutely i mean if you look at standard decks today generally the ones that do well i mean every single you know point of the curve is a the cards are rare that's just kind of how they make the sets now but mm-hmm. that's you can't do that in limited you really have to evaluate every single card based on how good it is in the format and yeah i mean obviously that sounds like pretty basic advice but it's hard to get past like you have this bias built in from a constructed point of view and you really need to take the time before instantly dismissing stuff and even then you'll tend to underrate cards that just look worse than than constructed playable like like me personally i have a very hard time just playing a two mana two two because i think the card looks bad and in reality, the card might be totally fine. In fact, it might be something I want. Yeah, I also never want to play two mana two twos. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no secret there. Uh, I, I want to touch on this 
point you brought up or this idea you brought up a little bit earlier about like what kind of deck you play or what kind of player you are. I met some folks who play uh, EDH a couple weekends ago sure. and they were like, what kind of deck, what, what do you play? And I was like, well, I, I play limited. And they're like, yeah, but like what kind of decks do you play? And I was like, <laughs> What's open in my seat? Like I, I was like, I, this is hard for me to answer, but there are sort of identities that people have like with colors or with archetypes or with decks in formats. And I wonder sort of how you navigate to that. Like you were talking about how you're a control player. So how did you find yourself in that area? Was that just sort of like what you started playing and then you just got good at it? Or is it something about like your personality or the strengths of your play style? How do you find what niche you fit into? So I think it differs for a lot of people. You'll kind of see something you like and just kind of gravitate towards it, right? For me, the first magic event I ever watched was Pro Tour M15 and Ivan Flock. He won it playing a blue-white control deck that just had essentially no win conditions in the main deck, which is terrible for magic. It's not really something they should be doing, but I I loved it. I thought it was really cool. So I was like, oh, I'm going to build that deck. I'm going to play it. And that, that was like the first constructed deck I ever built. And I, and I just loved it. I just kept playing that archetype and, you know, adapting it to whatever format I played it in and kind of stuck with it for a long time. I think other people will gravitate towards game states they like, I guess. There's a lot of players that just... They like to beat their opponent. They like to beat them quick. And, you know, the best way to do that is whatever red deck or maybe like a like a storm deck in modern, something like that. But I think a lot of players will start with, you know, maybe two, three, four decks, kind of play them each once. And they just you just kind of know, I guess. It's like choosing your Pokemon, you know, you choose Squirtle and you go with it. Are we going to talk about Pokemon every week now? <laughs> every week he brings up Pokemon. I don't get it. That is absolutely a perfect analogy, though. So thinking about bridging that gap of card evaluations of not dismissing 80, 90% of the cards that you open in a booster, what sort of steps do you take to broadening your horizons or maybe lowering your standards for what a, a good magic card is? Okay, so so once you like have identified your, your bias, you kind of have to like underrate cards you would normally rate highly i guess like i like i know specifically i don't like playing like aggressive red cards as much as i like playing card draw spells so if you show me divination and you know two mana three two that's like a red card i'm more likely to rate divination higher than that even though like a two mana three two is probably very good and it's probably just a better card in whatever format right i know personally i'm gonna rate that card higher so i kind of have to look at it and be like okay i'm normally gonna rate this higher let's downgrade this and it's like i'm normally gonna you know, rate this two and a three, two, too lowly. Let's upgrade that a little bit. And then even past that, like once you've identified your biases, there's a lot of just talking to people and listening to content. And, you know, you guys are great for this, where it's like, you'll talk about cars and it's like, wow, they, they like this card. I looked at it and didn't like it. Maybe I should take a second look. Right. There's like a way that you can broaden your horizons by taking in other people's opinions, people that you trust, pros, content creators, et cetera, et cetera. How do you stop from overcorrecting? Like you can't just apply that to every card. Like sometimes cards that are great in constructed are bombs in limited, like the Scarab God or Glorybringer or whatever, you know, so you don't want to like overcorrect, right? No, I don't. I don't think you want to overcorrect. So it's not it's not like, oh, I think this card's good. It's unplayable. It's more like, you know, I'm going to rate this card a a seven. And in reality, it's closer to a six or a five or something. So I'm just trying to correct a little bit, I guess. You know, it's it's kind of understanding how big your bias is, right? It's like on a personal level because you're talking about your own evaluation of the card. So just kind of putting it through like a like a corrective lens, if you will. Um, I mean, obviously you can you can correct it too far, but you know, I, I think it's better overall and limited to kind of you know like if you think the card's a seven and in reality it's a five. 
I think you're going to do better if you rate it as like a 4.5 or a 4 than if you rated it as a 7. The correction doesn't have to be perfect. Um, the other point too is just like looking at goalposts other people have set from, from content or reading articles or whatever. And you can kind of identify how much you bias based on those, right? Where it's like if you look at like a channel fireball pick order or something and they have this card, you know, a lot lower than you had it or whatever, you know that on average you're rating cards of that type so much higher than it should be or so much lower than it should be. And so when you first started making the transition to limited, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show, you said that was about a year ago. Like, are there specific places that you went to for content? Was Channel Fireball a go-to place? Other podcasts? Did you listen to limited resources? Like, where did you sort of find those other opinions for yourself as a constructed player that was looking to get good at limited? Well, so I've been listening. I listened to uh, limited resources when Luis Scott Vargas joined, and I never even played limited. I just listened to it because I liked LSV, and I did that for, I don't know, two years. So I kind of had this idea of how limited worked. But when I started digging in seriously, it was kind of you know, listening to every limited podcast I could get my hands on, uh, reading every limited article I could see. And then the other thing I would do is I would watch a ton of draft videos. So it's like if, you know, whatever streamer was, you know, streaming a draft, I would watch them. Um, I watched every single draft video that Channel Fireball put out for a year span, I guess. Watched Newmont, Caleb Durward, you know, wherever I could find the content, I would watch it. So you're in this state of being very hungry for any limited content you can get your hands on. How do you start to parse that out? How do you start to figure out like, okay, I'm going to take this piece of information from this article, take this information from this podcast, because sometimes different places disagree or, you know, you'll get different ratings for different cards. Obviously, then you're playing yourself and forming your own conclusions. But like, what? where do you start in terms of like, I gathered this information, and now I'm going to draft? How are you applying that information? Well, so that's actually a really interesting question. Because for me, like I said, I listened to limited resources for like two years before I even like really played limited at all. And for most of those two years, it was just, you know, the information is in one year and out the other. And it was more of just a thing to do to entertain myself, I guess. I would hear the information, I would kind of absorb it, but it didn't really mean anything to me. And I didn't have like anything to apply it to. So um, when I started watching these draft videos, I would watch them and I'd be like, oh, he thinks this card is good. It didn't really click why he thought it was good or what exactly he meant until I started drafting along with them, right? So when I started actually drafting formats very intensely, I guess, it made it a lot easier to kind of tie information I'm seeing, I'm, I'm watching and I'm reading to experiences I have had playing drafts. Part of that is that you, you look at people and every every piece of content they produce is opinionated, right? So sometimes they're wrong or they're overestimating something or they're underestimating something. And, you know, nobody in magic is 100% correct all the time. So it was, it was very interesting to me from before kind of accepting everything I saw as gospel, uh, just because I didn't have you know, anything to tie it to or to have like base my opinion on that wasn't their opinion, essentially. So when I started drafting, you kind of watch videos, bring it back to that. And then you'd be like, oh, well, he, you know, he took this card here. I think I would have taken that card. And then you kind of like watch their draft the rest of the way. And you'll be like, well, you know, maybe, maybe his deck would have been better with the card I thought I was going to take there. Maybe they were actually wrong here. And it's kind of eye-opening to be like, whatever awesome professional magic player I'm watching this video on, they, they could have been wrong about this pick. And in reality, they might not have cared. It might have been like a, a ninth pick or something in the third pack when most of their deck was already done. But it was eye-opening to kind of, you know, have your own opinions on the card too. Right. I can definitely remember, I don't know about you, Ethan, like watching Channel Fireball draft videos. You know, when I got really serious about drafting and what I would do is I would go 
I would pause the video and I would make my pick. Then I would restart the video and see what they picked, you know, and then I would reflect on what I wanted and if it matched up or if it didn't, like why they wanted to pick their card. But then as I got better and better and better, if they just didn't take what I wanted to take, I just got so done with the video and I couldn't watch past like <laughs> the first four or five picks because I just, I just wasn't interested anymore because my draft diverged so hard from whatever they were doing. Yes, I overlap 100% with that. That was how I would consume draft video content was pause immediately as soon as the pack came up try and figure out what i would take and then compare and oftentimes i would differ but because i was so inexperienced but as i started to like play more and more and form my own opinions and do my own set reviews certainly since starting the podcast it becomes a lot harder because i mean and i am a, a fairly stubborn individual so I, you know when i see someone taking picks that i don't certainly agree with or feel like line up with my pick orders when I'm pretty deep in drafting a format that I'm like, well, I don't, there's, it's hard for me to like gain anything from this. And I'm not, don't feel like I'm being entertained. I'm more just frustrated. Right. That definitely happened to us last night. <laughs> you Skyped yeah. in. Oh, yeah. You Skyped into my cons of Tarkir draft and we were drafting and like the first pick we agreed on. And then the second pick, I was like, I'm going to take this. And you were like, why don't we take this? And I was like, well, I want to do this. <laughs> and then and then, this, and then the next pick happened and we did the same thing. And then you just kind of like checked out <laughs> the rest of the draft. <laughs> I was pretty quiet. I also was playing my own game but i was like i felt so at sea with what was happening i was like i just feel like i'm just gonna disagree with everything and that doesn't make for good streaming content right well and and that happens with channel fireball too like it got it just slowly whittled down to where like i would watch everyone and then i would only watch like three or four people and then i would only watch like one or two people and then like eventually i just wanted to play because i felt comfortable enough to do my own stuff so i think that's a, a good way to start certainly if you're coming over from constructed oh 100 percent and that, that's something I've noticed too, is like early in a draft format, I'll watch, you know, any piece of content I can get my hands on. And then later in the format, I kind of just don't watch them anymore. And it's more just experience based, right? I also want to talk about your Google Hangout playgroup that you had, where you said you were practicing limited for like six months, and you had people of different constructed backgrounds in terms of what strengths they had, what archetypes they like to play or which kinds of decks they like to play so how did that inform you was it sort of like one person would be the drafter for the week and everyone else would sort of watch what they did and, and comment or were you all like chiming in i feel like that can get to be like too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing well, it can be. To be honest, the way it started was none of us were actually great at limited. So it was just like whoever had play points or tickets at the time got to draft <laughs> because everyone else would run out. They had the privilege of lighting their money on fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, we just kind of watch whoever could fire up the draft, essentially. And <laughs> we like we know because we've played with these people in Constructed, right, that, you know, this guy always plays red. He's going to gravitate towards picking the aggressive card in this pack. Or, you know, if we're doing a sealed pool, he's going to, you know, pull the red cards out first and then maybe the white ones and then you know look green and black and kind of throw the blue ones off to the side so that one person will draft and then everyone else will just kind of watch and they're you know anybody's free to chime in whenever they want and that happens a lot i mean you'll chime in and we'll kind of discuss a play discuss a pick and honestly it, it'll it'll get kind of you know heated at times where someone makes a pick and they just keep going because they're you know they're in their draft or they're doing their thing and then like three other people are just like screaming at each other's like no i would have taken this one or why did you not take that card you know it ends up being a lot more fun than it sounds like but we still draft you know online every day essentially so as a follow-up question to that you know you've talked several times about having an identity in terms of the decks you like to play you know i think if you're going to be good at limited and i think ethan would agree with this you need to be able to play every type of deck and draft every type of deck so at some point you have to make a decision to break out of that comfort zone right if you're going to be good at limited did that happen for you and can you can you remember when you made that turning point oh 100 yeah i mean that that's kind of the idea of limited is that you have to be able to play 
what's open in your seat. And you, I mean, you mentioned that before when you're talking to the EDH players is that you just play what what's given to you. That's how drafting works. And if you are trying to force something in draft, uh, it's going to go pretty poorly for you. Like for me specifically, when I first started, it was just like, you know, I would draft a bunch of times and I, I kind of know that I'm supposed to be playing everything, but then like somehow 75% of my decks are blue. So it like can't be right that I'm, you know, trying to stay open or whatever. And it's like when the guy next to me is drafting blue, my deck's horrible. And when the guy next to me isn't drafting blue, my deck was great. And I think for me, um, that kind of happened, uh, what was the set after Ixalan? Rival. It was Rivals of Ixalan. I remember playing that set just so much. And I kept, I remember Ixalan, Merfolk was a really good deck. And I kept forcing Merfolk because it was like this blue deck, but I just liked playing it. And Merfolk like was not actually very good in Rivals of Ixalan. And it turned out that Vampires was like the, the deck style I wanted to play in that format. But I would like, I kept forcing Merfolk for like a very long time. And I don't know, it was maybe like a solid week and a half of doing it. And then I finally like realized it wasn't good. And it was just like, you know, I'm wasting so many tickets. I'm wasting all of this. Like, let's just kind of, let's just draft what's there. And I had played so much with this Merfolk deck that I just knew the format in and out. I mean, I'd played other decks too, but it was like 50% of my decks ended up being Merfolk. And it's like, I knew what cards were good. I knew all this stuff. So I was like, I'm going to have someone just over my shoulder, just like berating me every time I like gravitated towards a Merfolk card. And you know, I, I remember that as kind of the turning point. And then for the rest of that format, I kind of was just open, uh, drafting a lot better and it worked out very well for me there. And then since then it's kind of been the same where I'll draft anything that's that's open. So as a, a, another follow-up question springing to mind here. So do you, you know, you said you were tested a lot with other constructed players testing limited. Mm-hmm. Do you, did you ever, do you have any limited ringers at your store or other like limited gurus that you ever brought in to like ask questions or like check up with or things like that? Cause I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody that wanted to learn constructed. Like for example, if I wanted to learn how to play a modern deck or play modern, Ethan would be like the last person on the planet that I want to try to do that with. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we we have people in the call that, that will focus more on limited. I mean, it started out as just like two, three people. And since then, it's grown to having, I don't know, we have like 12 people that will join on any given night. 12 different people. It's not always that big, but... You know, this group of 12 people that will just come in and play whenever. No, we didn't really have like a limited expert and it made it really hard. I mean, that was part of the problem was that it was just a bunch of constructed players arguing for a long time about what was better. And it was, it, it definitely made it hard to learn. But um, in terms of like limited gurus, you know, like at my local store, uh, the like the biggest event we do is pre-release where it's like we have all these events, but then just everyone shows up to pre-release because pre-release is awesome. And, you know, we have multiple players at my store that have played on the pro tour. A lot of players that just like win, you know constructed events they play in all the time and this girl named brenda would just like win every pre-release and we never saw her at any other event she'd be like, <laughs> how does brenda win all of these she's just incredible it's sealed i guess and we just like you know you go watch her play and it's like you play against her and she just destroy you and it's like you know i'm i'm winning when i'm playing you know paper modern you know greater than 65 percent of the time or something at you know the local level and then i was like oh and 10 against you know brenda in pre-release events and it was like well what is she doing that is making her you know, win these events so well. You know, if you watched her, it was just like, well, she always played, you know, what her seat or sealed pool dictated. She didn't, you know, force anything. And when she played the game, she played really well. And she was beating, you know, really, really good players constantly. So you, you play your, your round and you just go stand behind her and watch. And you'd be like, wow, she's, you know, she's good, but she's doing some things that are really impressive. So. All right. So you've finished your draft. You've opened your sealed pool. Mm-hmm. I want to move on to talking about deck construction here. Sure. In my you know, as Ben has said, 
my rudimentary constructed brain. <laughs> in my in my head, this feels like the portion and gameplay for sure, but this feels like the portion where constructed players have a huge edge. So if even if you're quote unquote net decking and then tweaking, or if you're brewing decks, like you have a lot more experience about fine tuning decks and really seeing like how pieces fit together. How can you start to apply that to a 40 card deck? Well, so it sounds like this would be, you know, this the part you would specialize in as a constructed player, but in reality, it was like one of the hardest parts. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it, this is like where the bias would show the most is like, uh, I remember Owen Turtenwald tweeted that all limited decks are mid-range decks. You know, people hear that and they kind of accept it that it's true, but they don't always, you know, put it into practice when they're they're building their deck. And um, in Constructed, you're often better to specialize. Like if you're playing, you know, an aggro deck, you want to be really aggressive in Constructed. It's not generally good to be a slower aggro deck because you're going to lose to the decks that are slower to you and you're going to lose to the decks that are faster than you. And, you know, vice versa, it's not great to generally be in the middle. It puts you in at a disadvantage to a bunch of other decks that are, that are very specialized in modern. So when a Constructed player is building their deck, they kind of have that bias built in where it's like, well, I need to be aggressive. So I'm going to put aggressive cards in this deck and it's like even if they drafted they like just used a like a channel fireball pick order and they drafted very well it's like they might put too many two drops into their deck for what the format's dictating or you know if if it's like a control player building their deck you know they might have six six drops in their deck and just get run over really early because the other person just had an actually good curve when you're transitioning to building the actual limited deck you really need to take into account that all decks are mid-range decks and actually accept that and not not like hear it and then just not do it that's a really big point and then the other thing too is just like you really got to focus on the curve more than in constructed like in constructed you can get away with with curves that are just all one and two drop creatures or like you maybe have you know one one drop a couple twos and then like all threes fours and fives because you're like a controlly deck you, you can kind of do that in some limited formats but other ones you just you won't even get to play games if you try to do that so it's important to know the format and kind of what the curves look like in the format i guess and kind of build your decks accordingly yeah i feel like one mana two ones are often cards that are hard to explain I I just feel like intuitively if you play a lot of limited you know that generally that's not that good of a card and you sort of have to always talk yourself down because like in constructed in an aggro deck a one mana two one is great you want as many of those as you can get but in limited it's like well you're probably not gonna get a lot of them and so they're basically just as good as a two mana two one because unless you can consistently get it out on turn one like that's a hard thing to to wrap your head around if you're used to seeing those cards as four ofs or eight ofs or whatever no, you're 100% right. I mean, part of the, the one mana 2-1 thing is that one mana 2-1s, you know, they're not even generally great in Magic to just have a one mana 2-1, but when you have 12 one mana 2-1s in your deck, that's awesome because you just always have it on turn one and you might even have, you know, two of them on turn two and it's just, you've built a huge board presence, but I've never seen a limited format where you're going to have more than one one mana 2-1 in your deck, maybe two something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you can't get a critical mass of this card, so it's just not going to be effective. Right. I was looking over, you know, Ethan asked me to look over our show notes again last night after he changed them a little bit for this episode. And I was looking over them and I remember reading that. And then I immediately hopped into Cons of Tarkir draft and my pack one pick one had Monastery Swift Spear in it, the red mana one, two with prowess and haste. And I was just thinking, man, some sucker is going to draft this. (laughs) Stinks to be them. (laughs) No, and that's that's actually a perfect example because, you know, before we got on this call, I was playing online and a burn player cast three Swift Spears and I died very quickly to them. It's hard to beat that card when you have three of them, but if it's just one of them, 
it's not going to be that good. I even, I, you know, in drafting cons, passing Swift Spears and seeing them, if you've got some sort of assertive deck, and I feel like I've made a conscious effort on the show to not say, I've, I've tried to move away from calling limited decks like aggro or control and like more so like calling them like assertive or grindy, I feel like is the Lords of Limited terminology these days to talk about like those shades of mid-range. But if you're even you're drafting like an assertive deck, it's just so inconsistent to get that Swift Spear on turn one when it's going to be good. And then you also have to have enough prowess triggers to make it actually good. It's just there's so much work that you don't have control over. I feel like that's the biggest thing about like the difference between building 60 and 40 card decks is like, I know the kind of deck that Swift Spear would be good in, in a 40 card deck in a limited environment. Sure. But am I going to see those cards in a draft? I don't know. Am I going to open them in a sealed pool? Almost certainly not. No, you're absolutely right on that. And I, I know I've actually done this where I have like, I think it was Hour of Devastation. There was a two mana, two one prowess uh, that had a flick two. I think it was a blue guy. I was like, oh, this card would like reminds me of Swift Spear. It's probably really good. And I, I would put in like every deck I built. And then, you know, sometimes you look at the deck after and you'd be like, I had three instants and sorceries in this deck. Like this deck, this card is literally just a two minute two. And it's not like a two minute three two. Like I think it is, you know? Are there any considerations or differences or things you've noticed from building 60 card versus 40 card decks? Is it sort of the same? Are you just like scaling down? Again, it's, I mean, it's going to depend on what, you know, what your bias is as a constructed player. But I think generally constructed players know... They need to be aware of curve. Curve is still important in modern. You still have to to focus on it and you know build your deck with that in mind. But one of the biggest things for me is is mana. People like really underestimate mana in limited. Just underestimate how bad it is compared to constructed. Because in constructed, you know you can oftentimes play three color mana bases that are just no problem because you have access to you know a bunch of duels and you can just kind of put them in your deck whenever you want. And I think. When you transition to limited, you're just like kind of taught that like a, a nine eight mana base is gonna be good, but in reality, a nine eight mana base is not very good. And even even ten seven, when you're like you know more of one color, you're still gonna be missing your second color a decent percentage of the time. And I think you know constructive players when they're moving will just underestimate that, and they'll just like always default to like a nine eight or a ten seven, and not really look at the correct way to build the mana base. Or the other thing they'll do a lot is splash when they you know they don't need to, and they're just like oh I have you know three sources, I'll draw this, and then you know they'll lose with two red cards in their hand and no red mana and that and that happens a lot but in in constructed it's just very easy. like if you want to play three colors you can do that it's not it's not hard you just, just put the lands in your deck and you're good so then if we're thinking ahead you know you've played some games you built your deck you've got some mana is sideboarding any different for you between limited and constructed i mean obviously in constructed you pick your 15 and you bring them with you or if you're like a very good constructed player i think of building the 75 that's what i know from constructed sure pick your i knew that too okay <laughs> i also knew about 75 cards <laughs> You build your 75 and then you pick your 60 to start with. But anyway, uh, is, is sideboarding any different from limited to constructed for you? Oh, sideboarding. Sideboarding is where I had to make the biggest improvements. And it was one of the hardest things I had to learn. Because honestly, in constructed, it's still hard to sideboard. Like you still have to put in a ton of time and figure out sideboard plans and whatnot. But actually sideboarding is not that hard in constructed. It's like I'm playing against a graveyard deck that, you know, dumps their entire hand and everything in the graveyard. And, you know, their deck when they have the graveyard is busted. And when they don't have the graveyard, doesn't do anything. So it's like I have a rest in peace in my sideboard i'm gonna bring that in like it's not it's not that hard to figure that out and you, you kind of have the same thing where it's like oh you know the, their deck is all artifacts i have you know three ancient grudges in my sideboard i'm gonna bring all of them in and it's gonna be very good but in limited it's not like that like it's easy like if you saw oh my, my opponent has like a, a bomb enchantment like 
uh, M19, for example, like patient rebuilding, you see someone with that, it's like, oh, I'm going to bring in my disenchanter, whatever naturalize effect you have, and you're going to try and beat that card because you couldn't beat it otherwise. And that that's obvious. But the hard part for constructed players is kind of sideboarding based on creature sizes, I found, where it's like, you know, if you see your opponent have a Plague Mare, it might be right to kind of board out all of your X1s in your deck, even though like it hurts your curve a little bit to do that. Or you have to put in like a like a worse card where it's like, you know, you're cutting like your two mana three one for like a three mana one three or something. And like that might be horrible for you, but at least you didn't get blown out by, you know, a card their deck is using to great advantage against you. Well, I feel like that's even a lesson that limited players need to learn. I feel like that's a that's a pretty advanced limited concept there. Sure. Yeah. And and I mean that's that's something you need to learn to be good at limited, right? But it is it is really hard for constructed players to pick that up because you know the default is like I need to stop you know X broken thing. You know they're using the graveyard, bring it rest in peace. So moving on to our third chapter here, talking about gameplay. I think one of the most interesting differences between constructed and limited is keep or mulligan decisions, and I feel like I'm still trying to navigate this as a limited player because I think it varies from set to set. I was noticing in the cons flashbacks, Ben, I don't know if you noticed this, mulliganing felt really bad. It does. But I also I also feel like we've said that for every format since we've started doing the podcast. So is mulliganing <laughs> just like really bad and limited? I, mulliganing does feel pretty terrible when you're on the play to me these days. But I think even more so in cons because you really need three lands in your opener. You have to hit your third land drop on time. I agree. Yeah, anyway, but so not to talk about this flashback format that's out for a week that Ben and I love too much. So what are the differences that you've found in terms of navigating your opening hand in both formats? Okay, sure. So on the cons topic, cons was actually the first format I ever drafted. So I have a soft spot for it. And you are totally right. It hurts the mulligan because not only like do you need to get to three so you can play your morphs, but you're also probably a three color deck, which just makes it horrible, right? But yeah, so in constructed, I feel like when I first started playing, it wasn't that different. It was just like, you never wanted to mulligan because mulligan puts you down a card, right? And it's bad. But kind of starting, there's like a huge movement in just the constructed player community. I think starting around Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch, where the team that won, they had eight lands in their deck that produced two mana. And if they mulliganed every hand that didn't have one of those lands in it to go down to like five or four card hands that had one of them, they were going to win because the lands were so good. And that has kind of been applied more broadly to just constructed format since then where it's like there's been this push to mulligan more and mulligan you know for precise cards especially now that we have the scry rule too because the scry rule kind of changed that in constructed a lot where it's like you get free looks at cards that just will beat the opponent by themselves essentially like a five card hand that has like a rest in peace is going to be a lot better against you know the dredge deck than the seven card hand without it right but in limited there aren't cards like that you don't have like you know one two mana enchantment that just beats your you know, opponent's entire deck. And, you know, I think if you did, if you did have those things, you should probably be mulliganing in your limited deck a lot more. But, you know, you don't have those cards 98% of the time. So mulliganing when it's literally just going to be like an attrition trade battle is going to hurt you very badly. I, I think... You know, if you aren't sure, like in Constructed, you should bias towards mulliganing and Limited, you should just like, you know, try and keep at any cost. I definitely think that the scry is so much different post mulligan in Constructed or Limited because in Limited, you're basically just looking for land or not land Yep. based on what your six or five card hand is or whatever. But in Constructed, that scry can be like the difference between seeing a super powerful sideboard card or not. And that's not really that's not really the options you're looking for when you're scrying or mulliganing in Limited. No, I actually had this come up uh, right before. I was testing with one of my friends online. I was playing a blue-white control deck. And, you know, I, I really needed to hit, like, a spell because I, I mulliganed to, like, a six-card hand with, like, five lands or something. And it was like, I need to hit a spell. And I see, like, a good spell on top. And, I, and we, 
we, we talked about it and we decided we wanted to bottom just because we were looking for like a, a spell that would be more effective in the matchup. That's a really strange thing to do is like bottoming a, a like a decent spell when you have a five land hand, but I, I think it was right. Moving on, the next thing we've got here in the gameplay segment is a concept that's near and dear to my heart, which is playing into and around combat tricks and your opponent leaving up open mana. Do you have any thoughts on that for us, Zach? Yeah, absolutely. So (laughs) this is something I struggle with a lot because, like I said, I always played control decks, and I don't think you can find a combat trick in any control deck I've ever built in my entire life. They were always laughable because my decks were so good against them. Like, my deck is just a pile of removal spells most of the time. It's just I have 40 removal spells or something like that. So it's like any time my opponent tried to play, you know, the aggressive red deck where they had you know some some constructed playable pump spell like a become immense or something it was laughable because you just kill the creature they were putting the pump spell on and so from the limited perspective you know when i go to play limited it was really tough to like convince myself to put a pump spell in my deck or to play through my opponent's pump spells when i didn't just always have a way to like punish them for having a pump spell and it took me a really long time to kind of get used to that that aspect of limited and even now i have to like tell myself like hey you know th- this deck i built here this should have like a couple pump spells like you're kind of light on ways to get attacks through and get some damage in and you don't have very many removal spells like let's get some pump spells in here i think like if i didn't realize like how biased i was towards not playing them my deck just like would not have them in them and i would you know end up with the one two deck that you know could have easily been a three oh if i had just decided to put two tricks in there i think that combat tricks have gotten better over the years because removal has gotten worse i feel like combat tricks and like enhancement auras for creatures still have this stigma of like five years ago and maybe for folks who are getting into limited in more recently this doesn't apply to them but I'm, I, I wonder if ben can speak to this as well that I feel like from listening to limited resources for so many years and consuming a lot of limited content, it's a lot of like, don't get two for one, don't get two for one, don't put auras on your creatures, like combat tricks are, you know, always get the grades of like D plus, maybe C minus, but like, you don't want to play too many of them. And I think they're just like, they're not bad anymore, because removal is often kind of clunky. And so much of limited is just about smashing your creatures into each other. And I feel like when to play them is sort of like when to not play them into open open mana and and sort of like maybe what matchups or are you playing them as the attacker or the defender maybe there was a podcast episode recently here about combat tricks who knows but i think like that combat tricks are more playable now than they were a few years ago and that like there's still a stigma around them no i think you're 100 percent right on that because i i remember when i first started playing ixalan just the Ixalan draft format. I remember I was two drafts in. I was drafting with one of my friends online. And he, after two drafts of the format, we played six games total. He goes, I, I think one with the wind is like the best card in the format. And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? The card's not even playable. Don't put it in your deck. Multiple people on our call were telling him he was very dumb for putting this card in his deck a lot. <laughs> And then, like, two weeks later, it's, like, accepted as just the best blue, like, the best blue common in the set. Like, you want it in every blue deck. It's so good. Like, if you got two of them, you couldn't lose. And it was just, like, from the constructed point of view, it's, like, what is happening that this is the right way to do this? But it totally was. Yeah, I agree completely. And I was even thinking during Cons of Tarkir flashbacks that I love Awaken the Bear <laughs> so much. <laughs> and yeah. it's it's not even that great. But, like, it just gets the job done. Sure. If you timer, and I feel like the more the more I play limited, the better my timing is on when to play combat tricks and things like that. So, do you have any differences in how you think about you know once you get farther into the gameplay, sequencing things or trying to use all your mana? You know, as a big heuristic in limited, uh, and I assume constructed as well, uh, or just like thinking about your deck's game plan in general. Like, how, how does that sort of work for you in limited? Using all your mana in constructed is not actually. Uh, as big as a heuristic as it is in limited. Uh, in constructed, especially me, like the decks I play, the control decks, it's often better to just not use any mana at all and just 
like hold up a counter spell for a bunch of turns and kind of like not using your mana is a tool in constructed to force your opponent to play in a way you want them to play i guess where it's like i can hold up a counter spell for three turns not use it and that like in a certain way can like force my opponent to play into the wrath of god i have in my hand these tools just aren't always there in limited i mean you can sometimes have a wrath like you might have opened a wrath effect of some sort and kind of play that but they're a lot more obvious like if you're playing against somebody who just you know you know there's a five mana white wrath in this format and they're playing a white deck and they're just like not casting stuff onto the board at all the first couple of turns they're like oh, maybe he has a maybe he has a wrath here i'm gonna not you know play this this creature in turn three or whatever so it's, it's a lot more obvious but because constructed players will have decks where they can win the game immediately with some combination of things whether it be like uh you know in fact casting a become immense in a rain core and you're just you're dead if you didn't have the removal spell right then, or maybe like they cast ad nauseum and you lose on the spot. Like you need to leave up your mana to not give them the window to do these things. And in limited, like that's just not a thing. Like you need to be using your mana every turn. You need to be playing to the board. You need to be curving out. Like, you know, maybe you get to a point where you've played most of your creatures. You can kind of leave up some mana to like have your, your kill spell up, you know, to you know, force through damage or a pump spell for when you need it. But for the most part, the first couple of turns, you shouldn't be doing that. And I will see constructed players all the time, like biased towards not using their mana in like an effort to leave mana up. You know, it's turn five and they have like a two mana pump spell and a three, three drop creature and a five drop creature. And they'll play the three drop creature and leave up the pump spell because they're like, well, you know, I can just wait till seven and I'll play this five drop creature then. And like in reality, if you do that, you're going to fall behind on the board and your pump spell is probably not going to be good enough to get you back. But if you, you know, had played the five drop and then, you know, used the pump spell on it to, you know, blow them out when they try to double block it, then you're going to win that game a lot more often. So um, just just the actual using your mana is a big part. I never thought about there being such a huge gap in terms of mana usage. I mean, I'm just in my little limited bubble thinking about like, yeah, everyone universally agrees that using your mana most efficiently is like the heuristic, but I guess it's a lot different depending on the kind of deck or player you are for a constructed format. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there, there's another point too I have about this for players kind of kind of more standard focused, but um, it's starting to creep into modern too now where the games in standard have become a lot more planeswalker centric where, you know, you kind of just put the best cards in your constructed decks, right? And planeswalkers tend to be the best cards. And they don't give you a lot of spells that just cleanly deal with a planeswalker. There's generally very few of them in constructed, maybe one or two C play at most in the format. And a lot of constructed players will bias in games where planeswalkers are, you know, present and a big force on the game. They'll bias towards getting as ahead on the board as they possibly can right now so that they don't lose to the planeswalker when it comes down that will give them tendencies to kind of you know fire off removal spells early on you know subpar creatures so that they can be ahead when the planeswalker comes down and be able to attack it and i think that is something that will hurt you a lot in limited um i mean if you know your opponent has a planeswalker in limited then you should probably be doing this where you're just trying to stay ahead on board so the planeswalker is less effective but for the most part it's like if you fire off your five mana removal spell on their three mana two three so that you can you know get a good attack this turn and be slightly ahead on the board you're gonna lose to the bomb they play later because you don't have a removal spell for it now I feel like that was, you know, we recently had uh, Amaz on guesting as well. And I feel like that was the way his brain worked a lot, too. And I think that's from Hearthstone, like that there's pretty huge value in having a clear board in Hearthstone as well, like keeping your opponent's side of the board clear sure. and pushing through damage and things like that. That was interesting to hear you say that, like he said a lot of similar things about board control. That was something that I had to start thinking about when I was feeling frustrated losing to like declare dominance and sleep a lot of the time in M19 was that like 
I need to start trading off creatures earlier. I need to keep the board clear so that those spells are not such huge blowouts. Because I love to just, like, let the board stall out or, like, you know, we'll just get to the mid to late game and figure stuff out later. But that really can have a huge downside depending on what cards your opponent has in their deck. No, you're definitely right. And then uh, the, the last point I have on like constructed players moving to limited in terms of like using mana and removal spells is that in constructed you get this feeling where it's like you have as many removal spells as you need like you can build your deck in such a way where you're always going to have you know four copies of this one four copies of that one and it's just whenever you need a removal spell your hand's typically going to have one i mean not always it's magic right but you can build your deck so that you have removal spells when you need them at different points in the game but in limited it's like you might you might go through an entire draft and have two removal spells in your deck and firing it off on a subbar creature can actually just cost you the entire match and that that is a really hard thing in constructed because you know in constructed you just fire off the removal spells right away yeah i have that problem I have that problem less once I see the card that I'm like, well, I know that I only have two removal spells. And so if I've used one, I can't use the other until I see this bomb because I know I'll lose to it. Yep. But I think I definitely have that problem before seeing that bomb even like about reminding myself that I need to use this removal sparingly. I need to use these cards sparingly or save them for like when I definitely need to use them, because if I don't, I probably could hold off for a more powerful option. So that was a lot of points focusing on your own deck. I think there's also a difference in limited and constructed between evaluating what your opponent's doing. Uh, Because in constructed, a lot of times you know their exact 75, or you can get very close to their 75 from deck lists you've seen online. But in limited, that's not really a thing. So how do you go about thinking about what your opponents are doing or might be doing in limited? Yeah, I mean, this is 100% one of the, the biggest struggles with moving to limited from constructed, where... I mean, you you were spot on when you summed that up there. It's like, when my opponent plays his first land in modern, I can generally tell you 65 out of 75 of their cards, and generally more than that. And that, that like, includes their sideboard. Like, I'll know that because I've seen this deck so often. I've seen these lists. I know what people are playing because, you know, their deck struggles against this archetype. And in limited, it's not even close to that. Like, you can see two colors, and you'll know they have access to any card that are in those two colors, right, in this limited set. And it's really hard to kind of know what to play around, I guess. And constructed players also will have this tendency to play off of, I guess, tendencies where they're like, you know, I've played against this deck before. They had this card. You know, I got blown out by it. I'm going to play around that card. And that's right. But in limited, you can get blown out by a card and, you know, think, you know, that hurts you. I'm going to play around it. But, you know, if that card was like an uncommon, it's pretty unlikely they have it. And playing around it might actually hurt you more than help you. So it really is important to kind of, just know the entire set, like know what cards are relevant at what points in the game, you know, what what cards they they might have. And there's a lot of learning to this one. I'm not gonna be able to sum that up, you know, in one point, but you really need to kind of learn the entire set if you're going to be, you know, very serious about winning in that format. And in Constructed, you don't have to do that. You just kind of have to look at X number of lists. These players might have this card, right? I think this is a leak in my limited game. <laughs> I think I, I think I play around too much stuff, and I think I think about disaster scenarios way too often. Like I've spent most of cons of Tarkir hoping my opponents aren't going to play Wingmate Rock. <laughs> oh sure, wow, <laughs> yeah, just classic Ben worrying about a mythic. Right. I think some things to think about here, like you can't do what you can do in constructed, which is really know the archetypes, unless someone's doing some like sick homebrew or something Mm -hmm. from just seeing a land or a couple cards but i think there are the more familiar you are as you were saying the more familiar you are with the set 
the more you can sort of anticipate what your opponent's going to do. I'm thinking of things like even in non-blue-white like artifact-y things, but if you're seeing like a blue-white deck in, say, Rivals of Ixalan, I think even if you hadn't seen a removal spell from them, it wasn't ridiculous to side in enchant removal and assume your opponent had either Luminous Bonds or Water Knot in their deck. Right. If they're a blue-white deck, like they're going to have removal. I think making those sorts of anticipatory plays or like, I'm in the finals against a red-green deck in M19. Like, they probably have Sarkhan's Unsealing or Colossal Majesty or something like that. Like, they're going to probably have something that makes that deck tick. And what does that mean for how you're going to play? Like, if you're playing against a, you know, a red-green deck in another format, do you then you side in a card like Smite the Monstrous because they probably have giant monsters, that sort of thing. Like, anticipating things that your opponent might have in their deck in game one or in sideboarding based on your knowledge of like what archetypes are trying to do, I think can sort of get you that close approximation to what you're able to do in constructed formats in that regard. Right. So you're knowing like 10 skeletons for decks that then get filled out into slightly different versions of the same archetype based on what people saw in the draft. Exactly. And that certainly gets a lot easier when you're in pod because you can then also make inferences about cards that you passed in leagues that sort of you're just like, well, the world is their oyster in terms of this draft format, so then I just got to narrow it down from that. The thing is, is like you, you can assume that they might have those things, and like a good limited player would do that, but as like a constructed player transitioning over to limited, like it's really hard to assume those things because you know they might they might just not have those cards, right? And you don't know like when you're unfamiliar, you don't know to bring those in. So it's like the good limited player is going to do exactly what you said. They saw blue white, they're probably going to have enchantment based removal. I'm going to bring in my disenchant effect, but. It's hard to know to do that until you actually know like every card in the set, right? Yeah, I guess I just take for granted that I know all the cards in the set. Yeah, this this is not about you, Ben. <laughs> okay? <laughs> ben is the last person I would ask about constructed advice for sure. <laughs> oh my god, I'm never going to hear the end of that. <laughs> all right, that is a ton of information to run through. I would love, Zach, I'm going to put you on the spot here, if you could maybe summarize here for our listeners about like, some key points. If someone is coming in to listen to this podcast who's never listened to our show before, they play primarily constructed, they're interested in diving deeper into limited, a few points of advice for them to summarize what we've got here. First point is just know your biases, right? Just know what you're biased towards and and try to correct for them. Uh, You know, the second I want to really focus on is using your mana and saving removal spells because you're more likely to fire them off in constructed and you want like so for me it was like I'm I'm happy to use a removal spell early in the game and in constructed but in limited it's like I want to cast all my permanents as quick as I can and then when I have like one card left in hand I want that to be the removal spell and I'll use it as like the last card I cast generally and then last point is just use whatever resources you can to learn the format like it's going to take learning you're not just going to be able to transition from constructed to limited and just be a limited master right away you're going to have to you know, read up on how people are playing. You're going to have to, you know, look at sets and kind of learn, like you said, how like certain archetypes work and, uh, you know, what, what cards might be in your opponent's deck and how do you build decks. And that all takes a ton of learning. It takes a ton of, you know, reading and listening to, to podcasts. And however you go about learning it, it's going to take a lot of work to do that. So, you know, don't feel like you have to be the best right away. In fact, playing limited is fun. Just enjoy it for a little bit and take your lumps and learn. And hopefully, uh, you know, after a few more drafts, it'll be a lot better. Yes, draft more. That's my advice to constructed players coming over to limited. I think that last point is a really big one about like having fun and also try and learn as much as you can. I think there's a lot, a lot of times I feel like some 
folks come into my Twitch chat and want less like the quick fixes. Yep. And like, yeah, I can I can tell you which cards I think are better than other cards or like which archetypes I've had more success with or whatever, or what colors I've I've found to be better. But at the end of the day, that information is going to help you very little if you're just trying to play one draft. Like, you probably just want to like sit down and have fun and like draft the thing you want to draft. And if you're serious about diving into limited and really digging your your, your feet in and, and getting good, then you got to do what you talked about, which is just like be hungry get all the information yeah and one more point i would have for people diving in is don't feel bad to just draft the deck you're biased towards if you're you know it's your first time playing limited in a while like if you like to play blue and constructed draft a blue deck like you might get cut but you'll you'll still probably enjoy the experience or you know if you like playing red draft red like do whatever whatever is going to make you happy and enjoy the you know the first couple times you're playing because that's what's important anyway here on lords of limited we do not shame people who do that we call that drafting with preferences <laughs> that's fair <laughs> Zach, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this week. Please give a little spiel. Where can people find you and your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at A22EN. And my podcast is called Turn One Thoughtsies. It can also be found on Twitter. Um, You can find it on the iTunes podcast store. Uh, You can find it on uh, SoundCloud, I believe, Stitcher. So we're kind of all over the place. If you're trying to learn about modern, modern archetypes, decks, don't be afraid to hit us up. And uh, we'll give you the lowdown on what you're missing in modern. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Our M19 treasure hunt, I guess, is still underway? Yes, I'm calling it right now. Done next week. Okay, okay. We're calling it. We're calling the fight. He's given up. Next week will be done, but you can still get those screenshots in. Be eligible for a giveaway of a draft set of the current format if you complete five of those achievements. We've got the 15 achievements unlocked. We will announce a date for the 15-hour stream next week. You can submit those achievements by tweeting at Lords of Limited and hashtagging them with M19 Treasure Hunt. Or if you're not on Twitter, you can shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Check us out individually on Twitch and Twitter. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We are both under those same handles on Twitter. And we're also on Twitter at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Zach, for joining us. And we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. about to monologue okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> you do, you got it you got it unlocked it's your best skill i got unlocked yeah, yeah this, is, this is i've been training for this every year one thing is always predictable postage costs go up stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89 percent off usps and ups services so your business will barely notice the change stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours it's like your own personal post office no lines no traffic no waiting Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial. 
plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.